coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right. Another fucking pilot podcast, and I've got a couple more victims in the can. So uh, who the fuck are you guys? <laughs> well, I'm Cornelia Mihai. Uh, and I'm Olga Naumova. Cool. Very cool. And you're both? Uh, canopy pilots. Canopy pilots. Nice, nice. So nice. you're both uh, you're both jumping out of airplanes. Yeah. Uh, is this something you do for fun or you're pros? Uh, for fun, and it became work, and uh, it's still a fun job. Nice, nice, and nice. Passion and what we do on a daily basis, on our days off, on our holidays. I don't, I don't see the day when we don't do that, actually, unless it's a bad weather. Sure, sure. Well, that's good, though. That's very good. So um, you're both pro skydivers jumping your asses off, but you started somewhere. So let's start with all of that. Where did you guys get started jumping? Well, I'm from Romania, so I started skydiving in Romania in 2002. I was still in high school. Somehow, my friends told me there's some parachuting courses. I couldn't even call it skydiving, it was parachuting. Ah. So, so I started static line. Can't even say I, I was hooked from the first jump. I pretty much got hooked, got hooked to the lifestyle, first mm. of all. And then the passion for skydiving came. Very cool. That seems to be a pretty common theme with people I've talked to. How about you? Well, I've, uh, I've done my first jump with a round parachute. It's a military parachute D-16 from Anton F-2 uh, 11 years ago. And uh, they all told me that I'm going to break my legs, and I didn't break my legs. And I was, oh, I didn't break my legs, so I can become a skydiver. I didn't know what skydiving is, so I started to research, and I found this school with FF in Ukraine, which was 500 kilometers from where I used to live in Belarus. So I just drew there, and just that's how my life turned it was every weekend i was driving 500 kilometers just to skydive doesn't matter the weather looks good bad is it uh rainy or is it a storm doesn't matter you just on the friday you just pack your stuff so you became a skydiver because you didn't break your legs yeah pretty much <laughs> i became a, i became a skydiver actually at the beginning i uh i registered to the courses because uh in romania it was kind of different how it was at the time but um, for some reason, we had uh, free access to the public swimming pool, mm. and I wanted to learn how to swim better. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, a good reason. That's why I started. But then, yeah, I became a, definitely a, a better skydiver, but I don't swim any better. That's very, it's very cool. So, well, so y- you both decided that you enjoyed the jumping, and so you got into it as fun jumpers. Um, what was the kind of time frame? I mean, did you start right away and go, this is something I want to do for a living or it just was something you did entertaining on the weekends or now, for me, it was the moment the door opened on, on this Anton of two, I was like, damn, that's what I want to do for a living. I and just, I just wanted, I just wanted to do it full on. For those that don't know, the Anton of two is a type of aircraft. Yeah. 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 It's a biplane, um, Russian biplane. It's kind of scary looking plane. <laughs> takes forever to get you up to 900 meters, which is, what, 3,000 feet? Yeah. But, yeah, it's pretty cool. Flight. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. How about you? I think for me, I didn't know, like, at the time, in 2002 in Romania, we didn't really have private uh, airfields where you could just, you know, we didn't, it was a government uh, somehow related uh, club. It was a club. Okay. And I didn't even think that you could do this for a living. But uh, in about two years, when I was supposed to think about my future, you know, go to college and stuff, (laughs) 
uh, I thought like, oh, what do I would like to do with my life? What, what, where I want to go? And the only thing that, you know, really made me smile was skydiving. So then I decided like, I think I should follow this. That's very cool. It's funny because I've bumped into a lot of Romanians in skydiving, and it, which is unusual if it's if it's hard to come by there. I think we started like on a pretty unusual way, if you look at it from the outside. Um, but the moment we all like realized outside of Romania, there's a lot more, mm. and it's fun, and you could actually, you know, make a living out of it. Everybody just went for it. Oh, that's very yeah. cool. Oh, well, now, in, in Belarus, there's not exactly a whole bunch of skydiving centers. Oh, no, no. Both, both your countries are known for gymnasts, but not necessarily <laughs> skydivers. Winter sports mostly, eh? but, yeah? Yeah, no skydivers at all. Uh, that's why I used to drive to Ukraine to actually learn how to skydive and build these jump numbers. There is no, it's still no drop zone in Belarus. Mm. There is, yeah, it's uh, acrobatics or what do you call it, yeah? Acrobatics, classic parachutism in Belarus. Okay. But they, they don't have skydivers. Well, so since you knew you wanted to get into it right away, like you knew you wanted to work in it right away? I, would, I don't know. I just wanted to become a skydiver. I want to I just jump out of the planes. I didn't even know there is another type of the parachutes that exist. I didn't know there is a canopy that rum canopy exists. Sure. I just thought that's what it is. It's a round parachute D16 and that's what you're going to do. I just loved it straight away. And after, after I jumped, I started the research. And then I realized, oh, wow, you can actually go a little bit higher than 3,000 feet. And, <laughs> and it's not just... It's, it's not like about breaking your legs. It's you not just actually, a parachute, yeah. yeah. Or and not breaking your legs. Yeah, yeah. All right, so you both you both got active in the sport. Did you continue to jump back home? I mean, you were in Romania, you were in, in jumping in... Uh, I mean, we kind of depended on... Um, I depended on what was available from... So I started at the club, so pretty much you we didn't... Ha- have to pay for the jumps like if you were in between uh, 16 and 22 years old mm-hmm. it was you pay an annual fee <laughs> and you had uh, you would train like theory and physical training throughout the year like weekly um, and then we had uh, the same plane Anton of two um, like we had a, a time frame that the plane would come to our club and it was two weeks in a year and we had a certain amount of fuel and we would jump we would pretty much share it in between it was, it's uh, funded by the government okay we still have a little bit of that um it doesn't give you much you only do hop and pops it's towards uh, building uh, which what you like anyway no <laughs> it's towards building um classic accuracy national team okay pretty much a bit left over from the communist times sure. we still have it but sincerely it was great like i don't think i would have got into skydiving without it. It's sure. all that what we had at the time. And uh, I just went along with it, for well, sure. Whenever they called me, hey, we have the plane coming, I would go because awesome. it made me happy. Awesome. Well, when did you guys get to a point where you were now not doing the, the static line and the hop and pops, but you're into free fall and, and the, had the potential to start getting into more modern skydiving? Well, my, after after I researched and I found this drop zone in Ukraine, it was straight away. I just went there and my, my third, like I did two jumps with a round parachute mm. in Belarus. And then I went to Ukraine to start my course and went to free fall. That's straight very away, cool. Yeah. I didn't do hop and pops anymore. Well, until now. <laughs> I, I had the chance in Romania in 2005. It was uh, one guy that had enough money. He started kind of the same like us, 
but uh, he was really rich and he liked it. So eventually bought a plane, oh. a faster plane. He bought a turbo finished. Okay. Um, and um, he enjoyed it. So he wanted to actually build a private drop zone. He started it. Um, and I realized because he brought uh, an examiner to from outside to make two of our uh, most experienced skydivers in the country to make them tandem uh, instructors. Mm. And when that guy came, was an Italian guy. And uh, when he came uh, at our drop zone, I like the way he was landing, the way he was flying. Mm. Like you could tell, it was for me it was something out of this world. I haven't seen it before. It was a different set of skills. So then I started researching it hmm. and I was like, what is going on? I researched his name. He was in the national four-way team in Italy. I saw videos of them. I was like, wow, how can you even fly like that? Sure. And then it kind of opened my mind a bit. So uh, I looked uh, how it, what I could do outside. And eventually I left in 2006 from Romania and I went uh, to Spain. I started working as a parachute packer there. Okay. All right. So you went kind of a standard route. You go from uh, falling in love with the sport to packing parachutes and working your way up. Yeah. Nice. Nice. How about you? But it's funny how one person can inspire you. Like when you're just in the beginning of your journey. Sure. It was the same for me. I was walking to the plane to do my IFF level one. And uh, it was Seva Bedrin. He's still competing as a canopy pilot right now. Uh, He's from Ukraine. And he was just swooping just like in front of me and I was walking to the plane with a radio in my helmet with two instructors by my side you know like shit scared to do my first skydive out 4,000 meters and I was like wow that's not round parachute you know like it's flying it's fast that's what I want to do and I, I was like inspired by this guy for years we became friends after that and like we've been competing together after that but it was just this moment when you see something and you understand that your work will never be the same you're gonna just do that cool shit that this guy does that's very cool <laughs> yeah. now was there anything before skydiving in what would be considered the extreme world for you guys <laughs> was there any rock climbing any hardcore snow skiing anything like that well, no, like snowboarding for... like all this you know snowboarding i don't know free free diving for me, not really. I mean, I was still in school, in high school. I was pretty young. Sure. And I didn't really have the chance. Like, my parents didn't have a lot of money. I didn't really have the chance to do a lot of um, cool stuff. So I can't really say it was. Um, and skydiving ca- kind of just grew into me. Sure, sure. But you you were, Olga, you were kind of going crazy from well, the beginning. Well, that's body considering as an extreme sports. <laughs> 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 I suppose yeah. that depends That depends on how you're partying, yeah. well, for sure. I was partying a lot when I was younger and, like, doing some sports, but I wouldn't call that extreme. Like, I was trying to put my hands on anything I can reach. I mean, whatever, whatever was available. Sure. Is it, like, uh, gym or it's snowboarding or it's freediving, swimming, surfing, whatever I can try. I something try. physical, something out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't, like, it was nothing that would hook me, you know, like skydiving did. I would do something for months and then I'll do, I'll move to something else. Sure. Like well, skydiving does seem to be a lifelong hook for anybody that's in it for any length of time. Yeah. I don't I don't know of any people that are skydivers for a little while or very few people that are are tourist skydivers. Yeah. If they get to the level that you guys are at, they're they're in it for life one way or the other. So, y- you guys decide you're going to become skydivers, you go through the free fall course, you're packing parachutes now and you've uh, decided that uh, the leg breaking phase is hopefully over. So, where do we go from there? How do you end up working in the sport? Uh, outside of, say, uh, packing parachutes? Well, I think that's the most common 
way to work in the sport. You start like at the beginning, you don't have a lot of experience in uh, free fall. Uh, so the the best way to be in the sport is to pack parachutes. You earn money, then you spend it back in the sport. Mm. Like, uh, uh, and it keeps you there. I would say like even well, I was four, four, I was a packer for four years in Spain, and I can say I jumped a lot because I couldn't afford jumping a lot. But just by being there and being on the ground and seeing everybody and seeing videos and being in touch with the sport made me better. You I, soak it up, don't you? Yeah, just by being there, you see things, you see situations, uh, you see people and uh, their reactions and sure. how they evolve, and then you kind of you you find your own path. Four years of packing parachutes is pretty fucking hardcore. Yeah, well, I was I was fed up after it, and I wanted to become an instructor, so I worked towards it. But the thing is, I came from I moved from Romania to Spain with seven hundred jumps. But seven hundred jumps, if you say it like anywhere else would mean something but I didn't have a lot of I didn't have the skills mm. that other people in other countries would have with 700 jumps because sure. we didn't have the we we didn't find the inf- we didn't have the right information sure. or enough of it so I felt that when I uh, when I got in Spain like I had 700 jumps pretty experienced I would say mm. but uh, I knew I had less skills less technique than some people with like a license, I would say. Sure, you just didn't have access to it at that yeah. time. Yeah, so the moment I got there, I just wanted to soak all the, like to soak up all the information I could. Like sure. just that was like a sponge. Oh, you can do that, sure. and you can do that. I had to change a lot of bad habits that I had. <laughs> Unlearn worked, a lot of things. I worked a lot, so that's why I think it took me longer to become an instructor because uh, I had to just fix a lot of uh, a lot of things that I wasn't doing right in the beginning. Sure. Um, but eventually. I, I made it. I, I followed my dream. I sure. became an instructor. Very I'm really, cool. I'm really happy that Cornelia actually worked as a packer because when she saw me packing my parachute first time, <laughs> her eyes were like that big. And so, like, what the heck are you doing? So you were not a packer <laughs> then? I am not a packer. I still kind of a little bit worried every time I jump out of the plane. <laughs> not because of my landing, but because of my opening. But I'm getting there. I'm getting there. She showed me a couple of tricks that I'm using on a daily basis. Pretty sure by the time someone makes it to the level of professional working skydiving, <laughs> no, they I should not pack. pack I, I can't pack a parachute. Don't get me wrong. But I I was always the shittiest packer ever because I had money. I mean, like I was managing the biggest touristic company in my comp- uh, in my country in Belarus, so I never had a problem with that. I had my business. I was working full time job, normal considering in our world, right? So sure. I, I had money to spend on skydiving. She was a pay. posh skydiver. Yeah, one of the pay. ones that shows up with the brand new jumpsuit. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I, got, I got all my. Gear like after jump number, I don't know, 15. I already ordered my rig and stuff. Pink? Was it pink? Ah, it wasn't actually. I know it was actually black and red though. Uh, like, yeah, 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 you were a posh guy. Uh, yeah, well, so how did you end up working in the sport so, since, since you didn't take the normal route of packing parachutes? You know, like I was, um, I was just a normal, regular front jumper for first, I think, four years. And uh, my friends decided to do the course at tandem instructor course mm-hmm. and it's a military guys from my country so you're jumping out of a and uh anton of two altitude is about i don't know ten thousand feet mm-hmm. and it's like november pretty cold but because we've been partying before that uh, before that conversation we had a huge party in the bar where i said 
oh, I just want to become a tandem instructor one day. So they paid my course and they invited me in. So I didn't have a choice. God, you were fucking spoiled, weren't you? I know, yeah. Oh, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, so we went. Yeah. No, but it was like, it was brutal. This course was brutal. We were jumping with each other. It wasn't like examiner was jumping with us. It was pretty much military boys and me having like nearly 500 jumps without any experience of landing my parachute without bouncing around there. Well, so how did the course go? <laughs> um, interesting because, um, you know, like every landing, <laughs> every landing was epic. Everyone would go outside and see me landing the tandem. <laughs> anyway, after I've done that... Uh, Cornelia, I, I see a theme. <laughs> She had to struggle with my landings for, for I a see while a theme well. in, in, in Olga's career here. Okay. All right. All right. Well, we'll keep coming back to that. Anyway, four years uh, after... <laughs> four years later, you finally passed the course. <laughs> Miracle happened. Yeah. I w- I'm not the most talented skydiver. I admit that, but I, I have to work for it. All right. Well, let me ask you. So if your tandem landings were an event, how the fuck after number two or three did you get anyone to go on the front of you for well, a tandem? Well, they are military boys, okay? They've Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> But they've been told, you guys are jumping with Olga, so they didn't have an option. They had to go. I like military boys. They do what they've been told to do. Is that it? Is that it? Yeah, man. Okay, so you make it through the course, and do you start working right away, or is that just something you tuck in your back pocket? No, it was, uh, I think, like the, um, so it was four years after my first skydive. I was sitting in the office, and it was beautiful weather, and it was a wingsuit boogie back in Ukraine, and my home drop zone. Mm -hmm. No, it was three years ago, actually. I was sitting in the office, and I was looking at blue skies, and my, my friends keep messaging how cool it is. I keep posting photos, and I'm like... What the fuck am I doing here? I mean, I'm not even enjoying anymore being in an office and managing this company. I just want to be there. I want to be out there. Sure. And I already knew that I can't work as a because I've seen the skydiving instructors. They get paid, maybe not as much as I was, but I mean, doesn't really didn't matter to me at the time. Sure. And so I decided to go and convert my tandem instructor rating into USPA. And we went to Spain, to Imperia Brava. I don't know, maybe you packed my parachutes there. Cornelia, I don't remember you then. Could have been. You probably didn't look at me. I was just a packer. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But that wasn't long uh, from after when I actually introduced myself to you. (laughs) So you you swapped over to the United States Parachute Association license. Is that just because it's it's more well-received around the world? Well, because I never saw that I'm going to be working in my country because we don't have a job zone or Ukraine or so I, I always was looking towards if I would ever swap my career I thought I'll, I'll go overseas and sure. just, you know and when I got this rating my uh, examiner uh, Marcos Leze he said you know like we starting this job zone in Greece um, skydive freefall and um, you want to join so I came back home and I'm like sitting in my office and I'm like uh, like to go and work there, it's pretty much economical suicide, right? Because, like, you don't know if you're going to get paid, if sure. you're going to be, like, skydiving at all, if we're going to have clients, wh- what's going to be. And it took me, like, about 10 days being super depressed at work. And one day I woke up and there was, like, two phones ringing at, th- at the same time. And I'm like, no, fuck that. I'm, <laughs> I'm leaving. So <laughs> I sold my shit and just... And off to Chuck Drugs. Yeah. All right. Just, <laughs> all right. 
And <laughs> so you got off the packing mat and you started doing tandems in Spain? No, first I became an IFF instructor oh. because uh, actually in Spain, they, I don't know, they, I never saw another girl doing tandems. Hmm. I asked kind of around, hey, do you think, I asked other instructors, do you think I could do tandems? And they always said, no, 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 you have to be you strong. <laughs> and uh, so I kind of left it in, I didn't think too much about it. I kind of left it in the back of my head. But I knew I can become an IFF instructor. Mm. So I became an IFF instructor where I was still there. I did the course. I couldn't get a job there. So I moved. Um, I applied. I, I looked for another job and uh, I found this uh, small drop zone at the time in Portugal. I moved there and uh, just to do IFF. It was just uh, with a Cessna 182. Uh, but it was just me and the manager and another instructor working. So we were pretty busy. Sure. Uh, and at some point, the other instructor um, left. So we were at the beginning of the season and it was me and the manager. He was an instructor as well. So he looked at me and he's like, either I'm going to do all the tandems all this season and you're going to do all the videos or you can go and do your tandem rating. And I was like, you think I can do it? And he, sure. didn't, he didn't think it was a, a reason why I couldn't. So I'm like, oh, okay. So... I went, I did the tandem course, um, and yeah, that was it. Like, I liked that it was a person, you know, that didn't tell me no. Like, sure. there was no reason not to do the tandem course. And well. funny enough, her doing a tandem course was a reason for us to actually um, not meet each other in the internet. So, because I saw that uh, another girl took and, and got an instructor rating, tandem mm-hmm. instructor rating. And we like, had the oh, same oh, exam in yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, okay. I saw it on Facebook, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Because it was like, I think it was about seven girls in Europe by then, like tandem mm. instructor, instructors, female tandem instructors sure. in Europe. It was just only seven of us. And when I, I saw that another go, uh, girl got the rating, I'm like, who the hell is Cornelia? And I started to, like, you know, look at her. She wasn't badass super yet. She was, uh, like, a skydiver. And sure. I sent her a message. I was like, hey. Let's be friends. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So my Facebook this was sends, in, me, sends me notification every year now. Seven years. This was in 2011. Wow, yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny coming from uh, coming from the states and in my background. And I never thought about the fact that there really weren't a lot of female tandem instructors. It just wasn't something that. You just didn't think about it. But looking back on the different job zones that I've worked at, most of the guys were chucking drogues. And if women were working in the sport, they were shooting video or doing AFF. Um, So it never really crossed my mind. And then I started traveling abroad. And as I got abroad, I saw a lot more female tandem instructors. I think now it's changing, though. Like, a lot more are becoming tandem instructors. But it was just a thing at the beginning. Like, you thought, like, everybody kind of had the general opinion that you need to be strong but the parachutes were different as well. well I and I mean, like the canopies were bigger. There's no doubt that it takes a, 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 a bit of a physical strength to be able to do the job that we do, for sure. Oh, for sure. But a finesse is dramatically more important than strength. Um, being able to work with the students, being able to fly is the most important. And sure, physical strength helps. But at the end of the day, air is always going to be stronger than muscle. So if you can't fly, you can't fly. So, <laughs> yeah. right? Yes. <laughs> uh, you guys have seen just what I've seen. Some big, strong guys that just fucking fall like bricks and they <laughs> suck in free fall. Yeah. And, and they make horrible tandem instructors. Well, cool. So you both ended up um, working as tandem instructors and, and uh, doing AFF as well. Do you have your AFF, Olga? Yeah, yeah, I do. It's a tough course, huh? It's the toughest course I've ever taken. Yeah, I, a... I didn't pass from the fir- like on the first uh, attempt, 
and I had like one, a half a year of just, you know, reconsidering if I really won this rating. It's a real when mind. I got it, I was celebrating like three days in a row. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, it's a real God. mind. It's a real mind fuck. That course yeah. is designed to just make you doubt <laughs> your entire life, yeah. you know. Um, did you, looking back, which do you prefer, Tandem or AFF? Um, looking back, it's hard to say, you know, like, because uh, when, I, when I just started as a tandem instructor, I was like, I was terrified about every tandem I did. So mm. it was like challenging for me as much as AFF. Oh, me too. Like, I wouldn't say there was something was, obviously I like uh, jumping camera and AFF more because I, I get a chance to fly my own parachute, mm. obviously, yes. But it doesn't mean that tandems are not fun anymore. People are saying, oh, you don't become a tandem instructor. It will take your passion for the sports. It's not really that. true. No. It's, it's up true. to you Yeah, to if keep you your keep... passion for the sport. Exactly. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Well, so, in, how about you, AFF or Tandem? I like them both because I took them both as a challenge. Sure. Um, but I think IFF, like, um, and I haven't done, like, I, I've, I, I do more Tandems nowadays than IFF. But there's so, like, something special about teaching someone to, like, fly by themselves. When you see that light bulb come on over their head and you realize, holy shit, I taught that person Like, category D, like, when they start, figure out. I still, I have a few favorite students that I will always remember. And uh, the joy that they had in their face when they realized that they can turn in the air. (laughs) Like, I was, like, I I, I just was living his moment, you know? Oh, yeah. So I think that was, and I think the people that actually come to the course, they're, like, determined they they know this they want it they uh, they're somehow passionate about it and mm. they don't even know it yet and sure. that's really cool to work with those people you can also find the same with uh, the tandems for sure. sure like you have the but not everybody some people like it some people don't some sure. people are really scared some people think it's a walk in the park and then they realize it's not <laughs> um so tandems are just a bit it depends who you jump with for sure sure, yeah. sure. I think you're just natural born coach. You just <laughs> love coaching people. Well, it gives me a satisfaction. Absolutely. Sure. Well, and it should. I mean, it's it's quite an accomplishment to be able to teach someone to do what we do in such a high stress environment, and to get someone to smile yeah. when they're yeah. falling at 120 miles an hour, and you've given them a whole list of shit they've got to do, but you can get them to smile as well. That's an accomplishment. Yeah. That's that's not something too many people can do. And thinking so that you kind of build that in a way like Absolutely. build their confidence and we're there with them you can see the progress I think the progress is the nicest thing to see oh absolutely well and we all have those students that we can pat ourselves on the back and go that person's a scout ever because I nursed them through it's the it's the students that had the hardest time that are the ones that stand out to me that had a hard time and got through it and enjoyed it the most and they they're usually the ones that want to give back to the sport so much because at some point they didn't think they were going to make it mm. which is amazing <laughs> yeah so you both start out and, and you're, you're working in the sport now, you're checking drugs and you're doing AFF in what is predominantly a, a male-dominated workforce in the sport, or at least it was. It is changing, but you guys have both pushed it even farther and gone into the competition world as well, um, and specifically into canopy piloting, which until relatively recently was very much male-dominated. There are women that are out there competing. You've got uh, uh, Jeannie uh, Bartholomew. You've got uh, Maxine Tate. But, I mean, you've pushed it hardcore, Cordelia. <laughs> I mean, you, you've, uh, you've got uh, a few accomplishments under your belt. So tell us about that. 
Well, I always sincerely, like kind of like skydiving, I got into canopy piloting also kind of by mistake. <laughs> it, it, well, not that type of mistake, but like it happened. Uh, I really wanted, so I became an instructor. I was working in Portugal. I was happy. I was jumping every day. Um, so I was really happy, but I always wanted to compete. I don't know why. I don't know how I knew that. I always wanted to compete. Mm. Uh, I just think competition pushes you further than you would push yourself in normal situations. And um, I really wanted to to go to a competition. I did some four-way belly before. Um, I did classic accuracy in Romania. Okay. Um, so I did some just like two national championships in Romania sure. of classic accuracy and I loved it. Um, so then when I was in Portugal, I really wanted to go to this, uh, competition in Dubai in 2011. Like I've seen videos, I've seen, uh, I've had friends from Spain going there and everything looks like amazing. Mm. And I really wanted to get there. And I tried to put a four-way team together, a belly four-way team together. It was really hard, like oh. different countries, different people just sure. to put it together. It was impossible. So then I was stubborn and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get there. So uh, the only two individual disciplines I could do, I could participate in, were either canopy piloting or classic accuracy. <laughs> and at the time, in 2011, I was closer to uh, canopy piloting. Like I, I was already doing like landing okay-ish. I was, uh, I was jumping a velocity. Um, I was doing a, a 450 turn, so I was like, I was, I was landing okay. Okay, so high performance uh, turns on a small parachute. Yeah, so I never thought of canopy piloting. I had to research the rules and what I should do. I never thought of it. But then I'm like, well, I have the equipment. I don't have the equipment for classic accuracy. I'm going to go for canopy piloting. Awesome. So I registered and I... I went for it. That was my first competition. Very cool. So your very first competition, you went to Dubai, um, having never been in a competition like that. I've never been on a pond before. Oh, I, that's awesome. So I, I tried because I was I started to get ready for it. Like I was putting some gates in the landing area. Like I researched when, it. When Karina said she read uh, rules, that means that she read all the rules, she found all the mistakes there. <laughs> no, no, actually, no. I knew kind of what I had to do. I asked people. Uh, my manager, actually, in Portugal at the time, I think he did a swooping competition at some point, so he knew some stuff, okay. so he helped me out. Um, but I've never been on the pond. Uh, so I was in Portugal, actually, the drop zone was right near the beach. Sometimes we were doing beach jumps there. I remember like one time, like a month before the competition, I was like, no, no, I need to touch the water because I've seen this in videos. I have to do this. So I went, when we did a beach landing, I was like, oh, I'm going to try to touch the water. No idea how to do it. So I tried, but, uh, obviously the sea is not the same as a pond. Sure. It was like we had waves. So I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I got this. And then the wave came. The water wasn't there where I thought it was, and uh, I ended up splashing. I had to wash all my gear, and oh, my reserve. salt water, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So it wasn't didn't really go exactly. It wasn't that easy as I thought. I didn't think it was easy. Uh, I just thought, you know, it was one step closer to touching sure. water. Sure. Well, so you get to the competition out there, and uh, um, who are you competing against? I mean, this is not going to be a, a, a local field. This is if it's. <laughs> But funny enough, I didn't even care. I didn't, I didn't know any of the swoopers. Like, 
I got there. I read the bulletin of the competition, right? So the arrival date was there. And I didn't know people in Canopy Piloting get there like at least a week prior to, to jump train. to, to train. train. I arrived on the arrival day, official <laughs> arrival day. We had one <laughs> official practice day. So I managed, it was bad weather. I managed to do one practice jump that I managed to go over the <laughs> pond. In the one practice jump, it was the first time I was jumping full RDS. So that means that I had to figure out how to, because I bought a full RDS because I've seen it in sure. videos. Sure. So for people, that, for people that don't jump at RDS means you can take the slider and stuff off? Yeah, you, it, it means um, uh, re, um, removable. Removable, removable deployment system. And that just and, uh, uh, that's the stuff that just creates a shitload of drag if you leave it on. So it slows yeah. you down. So, of course, you can't be piloting. You want to be efficient. You want the canopy to be efficient. So you take the slider off with your D-bag and the pilot should. Okay, cool. Um so it was the first time I was jumping that. I had, I bought brand new hoop shorts. So, so, I had yeah. so you looked right. <laughs> no, at least I had a, a pocket. <laughs> a pocket for the RDS. Okay. Uh, and that happened all new in one jump that I was jumping in Dubai, over Ooh. surrounded by water buildings and the pond. And we jumped at 5,000 feet. <laughs> Um, so I spent like 3,000 feet to figure out how to put <laughs> everything in my pocket because it was a brand new pair of shorts and it was a tight pocket. <laughs> so, and I was shaking also. So I was like, oh, I'm never going to do this. Oh, what's going to happen? And somehow I made it. I managed to do a turn to do my landing over the pond safe. Sure. So I was ready for competition. Oh, that's very cool. Now, uh, you got there, you were competing. How many women were in the competition? Actually, in that competition, and that was the third DIPC, Dubai International Parachuting Championship, um, I was the only one. Okay, so you're the only woman uh, in a field of guys that have been doing it for a while. Um, more than likely, they're sponsored teams. Um, so you've got the best of the best. And, and by this time in the sport, these guys are good. I mean, they've been doing this shit for quite a long time. How were you greeted? Very well. Awesome. Like, actually, that's why I loved it so much. Everybody was helpful. Um, that's, I mean, I, I was happy with the competition and how I did. I, don't, I, I was one of the last ones, sure. for sure. Yeah. Uh, but what I enjoyed is that, and I was surprised, um, everybody was welcoming. Not, not everybody, but a lot of people were welcoming. And they were like, what really impressed me is that they were warning each other about weather conditions and... Uh, if someone was doing something dangerous, they mm. would come and tell you something, and they would try to help you. Even we were, even if we were all competing. Obviously, I wasn't a threat for anyone's ranking. Sure. But even like in competition, like someone would land and say, "Hey, watch out!" They're like strong uppers from that direction. Sure. And that was new for me because I was a packer for a long time. I saw and in a, a busy place in Europe where a lot of teams came to train. And uh, every time I saw the, you know, like belly teams and free fly teams, they're all like staying with each other, really hiding from the other teams, really focused on their own thing, sure. not sharing information, not doing anything uh, to help each other. Where in canopy piloting, I was greeted and helped by a lot of people. Which is awesome. That like really impressed me. And that was a big part of why I wanted to keep doing it, why I wanted to learn more. Because sure. even now... Uh, if you see someone doing something dangerous, a low turn, um, a weird thing, you're not going to just stay on the side and let, no. and uh, not tell them something because it's dangerous. They can hurt themselves and they can even kill themselves. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and it's uh, that's that's the 
the joy to the majority of our sport is that outside of competition, outside of all the bullshit, even if you don't particularly like someone, you don't want to see them hurt. Exactly. Uh, So uh, I don't have to like you to go, hey, dude, take it easy. You're going to hurt yourself. So that's the first thing that I loved. Which is awesome. Now, Olga, you've decided to to go the same route, and you started swooping as well. Yeah. Um, What was your decision to to decide to get into canopy piloting? Well, as I said, uh, it was from the first jump I've done from uh, from my AFF course when I saw Seva swooping in front of me. But I just didn't know. I wasn't. I'm not the most talented pilot. I have to say, (laughs) it took me forever to learn how to land my own parachute, and then I was struggling with tandem landings. But I've always so was, swooping was the natural choice. Yes, for sure. I mean, like <laughs> I, I said from the jump number one, I want to do swooping, and my friends were like, "Okay, wait until you have three hundred jumps, okay?" And then we talked. So I had three hundred jumps, and I came to Seva, and I'm like, "Okay, can I swoop now?" He's like, "Uh, no. Wait until wait until like, you have six hundred jumps." So I waited until I had six hundred jumps. I was still not good, and then I was like, "Okay, you know, like I'll just wait another thousand. You know, <laughs> maybe I'll get somewhere better." Okay. So, but I've always wanted to do that and then when uh, Cornelia started to do uh, to swoop and I saw like because we've been already friends on Facebook so I was following her um, journey of becoming a swooper and I saw her like doing better and better and better uh, so she wasn't that active on social media I had to do some researches but anyway <laughs> uh, I saw that she's doing it I'm like yeah well she's doing it sure that's possible sure there is nothing that is not possible but i was far away she she was in dubai that back then and um i just sent her a message i think it was like five years ago i was in south africa by then and i'm like oh i want to swoop and she's like well how can i help (laughs) (laughs) i'm like well i want to swoop but i jump tandem handicap every day you know (laughs) i don't don't really jump with my own parachute and so she said like if you ever in uh, if you ever going to be in dubai uh just you know th- then we'll talk then we'll talk and so you kind of approached her uh as a mentor yeah well so it was very inspiring to see another girl you know doing something what i was dreaming and not daring to do. sure well we've heard that she's done her first competition and and was towards the bottom but had a lot of fun but that's changed so you, you've got a few bragging points. You, you've been on the podium eh, once or twice. Probably. I actually had to research it before this podcast. Yeah. I know, like, you know how, how some people know exactly how many competitions they did? And sure. I cannot really tell you exactly. But uh, I probably have around, I've, comp- I've since then, I'm, I don't know if I'm wrong, but somewhere in between 50, 60 competitions. Okay. And uh, I've been on the podium over 30 times so like uh, not w- not winning all of them uh, but uh, on the podium but you have one I have one also, um, yeah. what's your what's your top competition what's the big one um well I uh, I became a world champion in distance in uh, Canada and then uh, also in Dubai in uh, at the world air games um, so that was my main achievement at an FAI competition uh, I'm still fighting to win overall the world championship sure. i've got second i've got third but i never got first overall um and um one of my proudest moments is actually u.s nationals i won it twice and uh, for me u.s nationals it's uh, after the world championship it's uh, the toughest competition out there sure and i didn't win it as an official because i'm not from u.s i cannot officially get a, mes- a medal 
but I don't care. Yeah, it doesn't matter. That For doesn't me, matter. it doesn't matter. I don't care about the medal. So world championship distance twice, second and third for overall multiple times, winning the U.S. Nationals. That's a long way from down low and, and having never been across a pond before. That's a big fucking deal. I mean, you're competing against guys that were doing this a lot longer. And so wh- what do you what do you attribute that to? How'd you how'd you manage to do so well so quickly? Uh, well, I, I I worked hard towards it, but I also was at the right place at the right time. Like uh, I was um, I got a job so after after the first competition that I did, I got offered a job in Dubai. So then I started working in Dubai and then um, quite like after one year in Dubai, uh, they um, they asked me they actually built the they put together a canopy piloting team. Mm fully sponsored and um, they chose me to be part of it that's very cool and I wasn't very good at the time I mean I've competed for UAE um, like the in 2012 that was my first time but I can't say I did very well I did average I had plenty of things that I needed to work on still Um, but I think they saw how how hard I was working towards it, sure. and um, they chose me to be part of that team. That's and, very cool. Um, during three years, uh, we were fully sponsored, traveling to competitions, so that definitely boosted me to the top. Sure, sure. Well, now, um, along the way, you, you obviously were in the right place at the right time and, and uh, put the work in. Um, any, any drawbacks, any fallbacks, any injuries, anything that slowed you down? Or have you been pretty lucky all the way around? I don't know if it's luck, but it's maybe the way I I train. Like um, I I try to take all the you know the precautions. I I never really got injured swooping. So would you consider uh, yourself a pretty uh, uh, cautious swooper? I mean, if there is smart, such a thing, maybe smart. I don't know. Maybe try to uh, fair enough. Like uh, not smart, but train in a smart way. For example. I know when to where my limits are. I know that I don't have to take a you know take a gate no matter what in training, for sure, example. Sure. Sure. Um, like it's still even now. Like a few years back, a friend of mine, Woodsy, said something that like just marked me. Said like, "Remember, you need to walk to the podium," mm. and I will not forget that ever. S- some um, wise words. Because. I don't even want to say about training. Training, you can always make mistakes and not score and make a shitty jump. Shitty, I mean, by not scoring well. Mm. Um, it's just training. In the end, you're learning from all of that. But even in competition, for sure, I hit the water a few times and uh, I bounced in here and there. But uh, nothing that I, I thought that it's going to injure me or cost me my life. Sure, yeah. Because I don't think... It's worth it. Well, knowing your limits is an extremely important thing. Actually, it was kind of funny because I do my lazy little 270 swoops that, <laughs> that nobody ever wants to watch. And, and why would they? They're just for me. And, and you had approached me a couple of times and it explained how to do a 450. And I made one attempt at it, got myself su- super dizzy, scared the fuck out of myself, walked away. And I think the next day I bumped into you and you're like, so how's the 450s? And I just shook my head and went, fuck that. Nope, nope I'm good with 270s. It's fine. Well, so now I understand why you, Olga, decided that you wanted her as a mentor. She went um, full on and ended up, you know, at the peak of competition. I mean... Well, also, you know, it's very inspiring to see another woman doing that. I, I mean, like, those boys, boys always been swooping, but, like, boys well known for having an ego, you know? Like, hey, come over here, I'll teach you how to swoop. It's mm-hmm. not what I wanted, really. I wanted, like, a, 
a person who will actually tell me uh, a reasonable things to do because as i told you i wasn't a very talented uh, canopy pilot yeah we've, a, we've established that like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you visit me in the hospital quite a few yeah, times yes, so I have. I mean, like, yes i have you know yes i have but yeah it was very inspiring so i was on on to her and she, i was in south africa as i said and the moment i actually moved here i was a pro and i moved with the acl reconstruction uh and um, so when I moved back to uh, back then, when I moved in, it was like ACL reconstruction, uh, huge knee support, walking to Cornelia and saying, I want to swoop. And she's like, well, maybe you're going to start jumping first. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. Well, y- I-, I can vouch for the fact that you do like to put the cart before the horse a couple of times. Uh, when I went to visit you in the hospital which, after... Which, which time? Uh, <laughs> which one? <laughs> that, w- that would be the time that you punctured your lung with a rib after frapping yourself in on a hook turn and when we got to myself and uh and nomers got to visit you you were busy talking about the colors for the downsized canopy you wanted yes <laughs> i mean like i survived so i knew that i'll be all right sure you know? I mean, all right well it's surviving yes you're you've got a way of doing that but let's go down the list how many how many times skydiving related have you been to the hospital now uh, lots, but... <laughs> <laughs> Is that not, how many times? Uh, I, I cannot count them. Seriously, like, too many. Around, like, uh, less than 10, I think, but... <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, not all of them were, like, very major. Some of them were, were like, little ones when I saw that I break my finger or, like, I don't know. All right, well, let's let's keep the little ones and see if we can't uh, um, nail some down. Tell me about the competition where you had to be carried to the aircraft. Uh, so that you well, could swoop. Well, uh, it was actually... <laughs> Speaking of being able to walk to the podium, yeah. you should probably be able to walk to the aircraft um, as well. Yeah, well, I hadn't had Woodsy who would tell me that, but so I was doing it as careful as I can, but my way. Yeah, it you, was, didn't, you didn't have me telling you to be, like, yes, train smart? Yes, <laughs> I, I, that's my smart. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was in Czech Republic this year, and Cornelia wasn't there. I think that's the reason. So, uh, on the training jump, I, um, well, it was, a, uh, it was a situation, I don't want to go really specific about this yeah, situation, yeah. but uh, so it caught my attention for a second, and then when my attention was back to the pond, it was a little bit too low, so I uh, bounce off the water and I land in the pond, people kind of... Um, fished me out from the pond and <laughs> took me to the hospital where I thought that my back was broken, but luckily it wasn't. So I just got the crutches and I went back to a drop zone and I said, I'm not competing. Uh-huh. But one day on the ground is enough to say, oh no, fuck that, I am competing. Now, most people, I can't speak for everyone, <laughs> but most people would spend the previous day laying in the hospital hoping that their back wasn't broken and the next day probably not hours. yeah probably not be over that quite yet i did wasn't you, over did you get a, a an x-ray oh yeah ah. so i wasn't i was <laughs> so I was, she had the confirmation yes. she was fine yeah so i had the confirmation there but they say like obviously you cannot do anything but like you have to <laughs> yeah don't do anything <laughs> don't do anything stressful so the next day you went and competed I do in it yeah, oh, of course, I, so I do I. Cornelia would do the same. So okay. do I, but uh, uh, for anybody that's listening that doesn't get what we do, these are people that may be listening to us that can't figure out why the fuck we jump out of an airplane in the first place, let alone it's compound fun. the danger by doing anything extra. Um, so for those people that don't understand, it's very difficult to understand how you can go through a traumatic injury like that and the next day be like, let's go. 
So that's kind of tough for people to understand. We understand it for sure. But I think any athlete out there, it doesn't matter what sport you do, if you work for something really, really hard, of if course. it's your dream, if you leave this sport, you know, and then you're on a competition where you came to compete and there is an injury which you actually can kind of, sort of handle. I wasn't aiming for any good score on this competition. I sure. just wanted to compete because I was already there. I would already put enough effort to, to want it to be on the competition competition to jump out of the plane and just do my best and I think any athlete doesn't matter if it's boxing gymnastics swimming whatever if you're out there and you think that you're able to try and bring your best what, whatever you can do at well, of course. certain circumstances then they will go for it I sure. think it's a, just being I, an athlete yeah I think it's being a competitor yeah, because you put the, yeah. the effort you train for so long and you're looking forward to that competition and you train like what you're gonna do just waste it all like if you can compete you will yeah. compete and i oh, think this sure. is just a a thing that really competitive people have sure well i, I believe me i say it all as a uh, playing the devil's advocate because i am no uh, no stranger to that. I, I jumped on a broken leg the oh, day I broke yes. it because I'd driven two hours to the drop zone and fuck that. If it's broken, it's going to still be broken when I get home. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I might as well go ahead and, I'm going to go ahead and make the damn jump. Yeah. So believe me, I completely understand. Yeah. It's just, there's a lot of people out there that couldn't quite figure that out. That's pretty hardcore. Yeah, it is hardcore, and I understand maybe the common sense would be like, hey, you have to chill, and I would probably chill if it would be a competition. Like, if it just didn't, like, I don't know. Well, now now you're past all of that, and you've definitely had your share of injuries. Have those injuries tempered you any? Have you started going, all right, I've hurt myself before. I need to be a little bit more cautious here, a little bit more cautious there. No, Has that obviously. S- obviously, when I punch my lung, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I open my eyes, I think the first three people I saw it was Cornelia, you and Naomi, uh, <laughs> telling me, like, so what are you going to do? I'm like, oh, when, when can I get back to skydiving? Of course, when I got back to skydiving, we had a deep and long conversation with Cornelia of how my depth perception has to change <laughs> <laughs> and what picture and how much higher sure. I have to actually see the ground well, from what I normally see there. For sure. And also I think she realized, and she's not the only one, like you realize yeah. uh, that when you get injured, then you cannot jump and train for, for yeah. you know, for a certain amount of time. So then you missing out sure and then you have to go back to it and it's a longer process to be injured and get back to it and actually take it a little bit slower or a little bit more cautious sure in the training sure well and especially uh, with canopy piloting you guys are landing at such ridiculous speeds and having to slide things out or potentially run things out and so ankles and knees and hips and shoulders and all this stuff i mean when you're talking about injuring joints that take months and sometimes years to heal yeah, for example, I had a good advice when uh, the team, the Skydive Dubai team was put together and uh, I find out that I was going to train every day and that's going to be my job. I was going to train every day and swoop every day. Uh, I remember um, Pablo Hernandez, we had a conversation and he told me like, yeah, and you should, uh, I don't know how it came up to this, but he told me like I should, recommended that I should wear ankle braces all the time. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. And so even now, uh, yeah, like uh, I, even now people, Swoopers, other people come to me like, hey, do you have you ever injured your ankles? That's why you wear them. 
And I'm like, no, I think I haven't injured my ankles because, yeah. because I wear them. Well, that seems to be something I see on most competitive swoopers. Yeah. Well, they call them ankle supports. Sure. To support the ankle. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I think they saved my ankles a few times, for sure. Mm. I felt it. I think without the ankle support, I would have probably not break my ankle, but maybe sure. close to it. So I'm really happy I, I do wear them. So a lot of this stuff, like... As I said, maybe a lot of the stuff that I do and how I train, like not jumping in crazy conditions or like know when to stop pretty sure. much. I think that's what kept, kept me injury free for so long. Very cool. Very cool. Well, and Olga, for you, I mean, especially considering you had such a tough beginning and it took a thousand skydives to learn how to land a parachute. More, more, more than that. <laughs> Pushing yourself into competition swooping is, is quite an accomplishment. I mean, injuries or not, you, you've, you've gotten to a level that I can't imagine a lot of people thought you would with your history. Yeah, uh, but it's also, I think I was really lucky, and I have to th- thank Cornelia to push me to the first competition ever, because I don't know how long would it take me to actually uh, admit that I'm ready for the competition, but it was in Italy three years ago when I came there just to have a coaching with her, uh, because I was traveling in Europe anyway, so we stopped uh, for at our favorite job zone, Skydiver Venice, <coughs> and... Um, so I stopped there for one day of coaching, and they had the competition coming open and intermediate, right? Was it intermediate? Intermediate, yeah. yeah. And uh, intermediate means the the rules are a little, a little bit easier. Sure. Yeah, and to encourage the people to start. get in to start competing, sure. and you don't even have to touch the water, I think. Yeah. Um, and she said, like, you should, you know, you should, you should just register for that. Sure. I'm like, well, I'm not ready, and she's like, yeah, you're not. <laughs> just register and just go and fly by whatever it's just going to be your first competition so she encouraged me to do that and i was flying by oh my god i was swimming and flying by and just walking by whatever but not scoring i think i scored in two rounds or something but i bet you had a blast oh my god i loved it i loved that and uh, i i I immediately signed up for uh pin clatove in just a month away or two months away another competition yeah another competition uh this year it was just that's very cool. Well, I kind of did the same thing way, way, way back when uh, I was part of a competition sky surf team. And we were okay. You know, I mean, we went and, and uh, uh, placed in a couple of intermediate competitions, but nothing spectacular. And we were debating on whether or not we should try and do anything big. And people were giving us the advice of, fuck it, go, have fun. Yeah. And so we went to compete in the U.S. Nationals and we were going to be in the intermediates. Uh, specifically because we just weren't nearly as skilled as, as a lot of these teams. But you don't know when you're ready until you try. No, no, of course not. Of course not. Well, and the funny thing was when we got there, um, there were a few teams competing in the open, but we were the only team in intermediate. Uh, so we were guaranteed a gold medal in intermediate, intermediate in the, the U.S. Nationals, and both of us looked at each other and, and went, well, fuck that. I'd, I'd rather lose against other teams yeah. in the open than, than take a gold medal for nothing. And, oh, I agree that. Yeah, yeah. So, and we ended up uh, uh, competing against one other team um, in the open. And unfortunately, back then, it was when they separated male and female, which was a bunch of bullshit because mm-hmm. the people that beat us, uh, Craig and Tanya O'Brien, were by and large the best sky surf team on the planet. She just happened to be a woman on the board. So they separated the damn competition. Now, the funny thing was her scores were destroying all the men's scores for the Open and destroying mine and my partners, um, but it was separated, which was a bunch of bullshit. Um, So it's nice to see, especially now with something as hardcore as swooping, that there's no more separation. You're competing head-to-head against all the competitors. And I hope we're going to keep it this way. It needs to stay that way. uh, I hope so. Uh, The thing is with what... 
like what it's happening right now for sure like uh, in skydiving in general there is more and more women in the sport and even in um, canopy piloting no, there's more good. and more it's, it's bad, good it's really yeah. good but i hope it's not gonna get to the point where they decide that it's uh they, they need to make a female category uh do you think that's a, is that a real possibility i think it's yeah. it's some people would like it was that because the people that would like it are because the ones they that you're like beating? An, because they would like an easy ma- medal. Yeah, see, that's what I don't understand, how the, they could even consider um, separating male and female when you twice have held the world's record for... If that, if that ever happens, I'm not going to compete in a female No, and, and why would you? Never. Why would you? That's a bunch of bullshit. I was asked like a few years back at uh, um, in Canada. It was uh, the world championship and... I didn't even know where it came from. I was training. I, I get pretty focused when I'm training and pretty grumpy. Depends oh, how it yes. goes. <laughs> oh, and yes. a judge approached me that I didn't even know. And he said, like, he kind of apologized. And he said, I'm sorry, but because we were two female competitors in that competition. Hmm. And he said, like, oh, I'm sorry, but because you're only two, we cannot make a female category. Because apparently if you would be free, it they is. would consider huh. it, I guess. Yeah. Huh. So... I was like, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know why he was talking to me. And I was like, even if you do that, I will never, ever compete in that. And I hope you'll never do it. Sure. So he was very surprised. He obviously said like, oh, you know, some people would like that because uh, it would, uh, you know, uh, help with the, it would look good for the Federation in no. their own country. Bullshit. Um, but I, I am a strong believer that men and women, if it's not, you know, heavy weightlifting, yeah. like swooping, skydiving in general has nothing to do with the strength. No. Um, There's a gender at all. I mean, the gender at all. So I hope and I strongly recommend that it never gets separated. I know they still have nowadays like uh, different categories in classic accuracy. Uh, and uh, I mean, I think in four-way, belly four-way. But yeah. I even hope that will be changed at some point. Like I wouldn't want... To be no. the top female, uh, I want to be the, the top. top. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> like, you, you don't want to compete against a, a limited field. I would rather be last in the full field than first in a field of exactly. my own. The same reason that uh, Mary Tortomasi and I decided to go open instead of intermediate. F- I could have walked away with a gold medal. Fuck that. Exactly. I beat who? No, 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 no. I would rather lose and compete honestly, for sure. Because it will make you better. Absolutely. And in the end, if it would be a sport that, let's say, I don't know, football, you would finish a competition and you end up a millionaire. Sure. I would say, okay, you're at least rich. Yeah. But, but it's <laughs> kind of big. Like you yeah. only do it for yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. There's no prize money. No, but no. The few uh, competition that there's been some prize money, they're like, they're very few and they don't happen very often. The amount of money that you put into training, it's unbelievable. So <laughs> you might as well just do it for yourself and don't lie to yourself. I always, a long time ago, I started daydreaming that uh, athletes in different uh, sports would be paid for the level of danger they put themselves through. In which case, <laughs> we would all be the stinking filthy rich ones. Oh, yes. Football players would be down a whole lot further. <laughs> That'd be nice. <laughs> So you both started from the beginnings. Uh, it took you a while to fall in love with the sport, but Olga, you fell in love with it right away. But you yeah. still ended up kind of in the same place and, and competing and working and chucking drugs and shooting video and doing all that. So you've lived a lifestyle for a long, long time. Uh, are there any downsides to being a, a body and soul skydiver? 
well, it's economical suicide if you look at it because all your money you're making you're making fair enough money. Uh, you can you can live with this money for sure. But <clears throat> the thing is, like for me and uh, I think Cornelia the same. You like you making money and you spend all of this money on your training. Sure. So. Um, you making money and you buy your new parachute, your new uh, rig, new helmet, whatever you need to, you spend money to compete, to train, to go somewhere, to travel. Um, I, I, but like, I think it was the best decision I've ever made, actually, to just cut away from my normal, what is uh, society will think normal life was, and to become a skydiver because I never look back. Like, mm. I wake up every morning and I'm happy to go to work. I'm because, like, I'm going to work to jump out of the perfectly good airplane with the community that we have. Well, and at the end of the day, happiness does not have a price tag. No. It's no. financially, you can toss things out the window and it doesn't matter. I think you can, if you look from the other side, but maybe people tell you that you're, you know, you're wasting your life, you're not responsible. Maybe. Um, I had a student once, an IFF student in uh, Portugal that, you know, in his mid-50s, and um, he couldn't really understand me. He Like, he worked all his life. He said, you know, he built a career. He had enough money that at the time, you know, he started skydiving, and he was living his life then. And he was telling me, like, what are you doing with your life? Like, why are you doing this? And uh, I don't know. I, I was happy with my life. Like, what if I don't make it to 50? Yeah. Mm. I was like, I'm going to have 50 years of working hard, not living my life. And then that's it, done. Yeah. You're yeah. like, maybe, maybe you're in, I don't know, maybe it's time for you to you die. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. I haven't got to the part where I'm happy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely. So uh, I think you should. And I, uh, I'm not like Olga. Like, I've always worked in skydiving. Um, I had, I think when I was a... Uh, super young in school still I had like a two weeks job like in front of a computer just to make some money sure. and uh, I realized then that like how do people do this <laughs> like not not yeah. that it's a bad thing I was like even that I was 18 at the time sure. and even then I realized like man if you like to your job and if you like I don't know coming every day morning at 8 o'clock and you like working in front of this computer and you enjoy it, I think it's amazing. Sure. But if you hate it, I think you should do something something about it. Well, that's the thing is I don't understand how people do something that they hate and live for the weekend and can't wait for retirement. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's, yeah, no, and I agree. Financially is, it's, that's no reason to stay in anything is for, for finances. Well, so financially it's, it's a suicide. How about socially? Oh, socially. Suicide as well, because you could party only that much, right? Fair enough, fair enough, yeah. The party scene can be all-encompassing and you know in skydivers. You, you've talked about that about, uh, in your past podcast. Sure. With that. I mean, like, if skydivers do something, they do full power. They can sure. all just go for a drink. You sure. Know, like, uh, well, now, you once said uh, um, that one of the things that skydiving screwed up for you was dating anybody that's not a skydiver. I Why? Used to, <laughs> it's hard, you, you know... <laughs> Well, it's very difficult to explain to a person non-skydiver. No, no, no. just tell them why you don't want to date them. Go ahead. Oh, they're right here. You have to. I mean, like I'm competing in canopy piloting. I'm spending all my money and all my effort and all my time into the training and competition, and I just don't have time for that bullshit to explain why we cannot just spend a weekend outside the drop zone well, you also, and not going there. You also told me one other thing. Oh, hey. Yeah. Gonna... It was a secret. No, no, like no, 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 no. You told, you told me that you didn't want to date non-skydivers because at the end of the day, what you do is badass and they're basically a bunch of pussies. 
because they're skydivers and skydivers are the same everywhere. And, and I was and also. I was right. Oh yeah, it's true. It's absolutely but true. Back then, community was a bit smaller as well, you know. So it was like even even more close to each other. Sure. When you meet a skydiver, you wanna help to this person instantly. Sure. And you're like, hey, but now I think. No, now as well. But like now, it's more kind of people can do it more freely. I mean, like it's ex- um, accessible. Sure. Well, absolutely. A bit and more than it was. It, which is, uh, I mean, hats off to social media. I talked about uh, social media and all that stuff with uh, Pat and Siobhan when yeah. they were here. Uh, it's done a lot to keep people connected and yeah, which is amazing. amazing and it's it's it shrunk a growing community which yeah. is even better it's yeah. really cool yeah. to be able to keep keep track and, and keep uh, an eye on what everything's everybody's doing yeah. so to professional skydivers to um, uh, professional competitors to women in the sport um, what takeaway to people thinking about getting into the sport not just women but anybody in general um, what should they know what should they be thinking about what are the highs and lows as we well, as she said, um, it's an expensive sport. Like mm-hmm. when she said economical suicide, it probably is. It's, uh, it's not. I mean, you can work for it, um, but it's it's expensive. Mm. Like it's I don't can not even begin <laughs> with how expensive it is at the beginning because yeah. you have to do your course. You have to buy your equipment. Yeah. And the problem is that you're you're hooked to it like if mm. you really want to do it it's like an addiction you just want more and more and um, but then it's like you don't really care about the money you spend on it because like you you just want to spend sure it. but you, you just have to make to money a non-jumper to but somebody to, that hasn't jumped yet yeah to, to a non-jumper <laughs> thinking about getting into it they need to realize you're going to throw away a lot of money that's yours and probably some that's you, not you, yours you're trying to scare them and no, no 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 they just not at all be aware that it's expensive it is expensive it's totally worth it yeah that's but it is expensive better, yeah. to start with, and then uh, to get until you get to the level that you can work in it um, as an instructor. I mean, because sure. as a packer, you can start pretty early. Sure. You don't even have to be a, a skydiver to be a packer. Yeah. Um, but until you get uh, enough experience to become an instructor and actually earn some money back, you're gonna probably put quite a bit of money in. Oh yeah. Um, but I would say it's worth it. Worth every bit of it, absolutely. I mean, you can spend money on other things as well that are not, you know, expensive yeah. car, expensive holiday, I don't know where. and uh, Get a lot less out of it, that's exactly. for sure. So, Olga, how about you? Uh, if you had to tell anybody what your favorite thing about skydiving is, what would it be? Everything. <laughs> no, really. I um, Being a tandem instructor, you know, sometimes people are coming and saying, Hey, how do I become an instructor? I would say, you know what? You just like if you ever think about skydiving, just go and start skydiving. Just do your jumps. Come on the weekends. Don't have a goal. Just Don't go jump. Don't have a goal. Just jump. Just have fun. It will come. You know, eventually, it doesn't have to be. Oh, I'm gonna become an instructor and I'm gonna work toward it. It's gonna take all the fun out of it. And uh, I think like you just have to go and have fun and enjoy your skydiving, and it will eventually. The discipline or uh, if it were going to become your job or discipline you will fall in love with in skydiving, which are so many uh, free fall disciplines or canopy piloting or whatever you will choose in the end, it will just come automatically. It just come, comes, sure. uh, just go and have fun and just go, go for it. It's funny that she says that because when she came to me and I started <laughs> coaching her, She's like, so I want to become a world champion. I want to beat you. I still want to. Yeah, yeah, no, no. But she somehow put like in her mindset like a time frame. I don't remember what she told me at the time. But like, no, 
And a lot I of people. Five years. Five, oh, okay. Five I, years. I still have like two years. Okay. <laughs> so the moment you know she started started coaching her, she started progressing, and then she had these moments when I had to give her a pep talk, like because she was upset that she wasn't good enough, or she wasn't good enough, as good as she thought she would be after, I don't know, a year and a half sure. training for canopy piloting. Sure. And um, I think that's uh, it's happening nowadays quite a bit, and a lot of people get stressed out and maybe don't enjoy it so much because uh, they think they should be better at some point than uh, they are. Because they had that goal. And uh, sincerely for me, that was never a thing. It is, it is now, like... Uh, I never had this thing of like I need to be good and uh, when I did my first competition I liked it I enjoyed it so I went for it but I've never had in my mind I need to be top three in uh, three years or sure. my goal is to be I don't know world champion in five years I think I just set oh, goals but your, your frame time framing is a little bit different you see the competition coming and you're like oh I want to win this competition sure. yeah, well so but you guys have both kind yeah. of taken the same tack now is that having fun is extremely important and it should be but my my goals changed like at the beginning the goal was like i want to compete sure eventually i got better with not too much pressure on myself sure. because I, my goal was i want to compete so i was competing the moment i got better and i saw that i could win my goal became i want to win that competition yeah. um but it wasn't from the beginning you know from the first competition it wasn't i want to be so good that i can win this sure that it just grew slowly into me sure uh and i see that with her and with a few other people out there that they get uh you know frustrated because they don't get as good as they thought they would be sure after training for i don't know how long uh and i think that's a part that kills a little bit the motivation of course it does of course um, it does I talked about it in an earlier podcast in regard to myself and having started working in the sport very early. And I never had any huge goals in regard to competition, but because I worked so fast in it, the whole you're supposed to be having fun all the time kind of faded for a little while. And then after taking a long break and starting to jump again, uh, I don't have small jump numbers. At 11,000 jumps, I'm a pretty accomplished skydiver. But then I go out and jump with kids that have been flying in the tunnel forever and have, yeah. you know, and a tenth of the jumps that I have. And they're ninjas and they destroy me. <laughs> and I love it. Nobody is ever going to be impressed with my free flying or my yeah. swooping. And it took any pressure there ever was in regard to skydiving and threw it out the window because now it's just fun. I don't care if I'm the guy that funnels the skydive. I don't care if anybody's blown away by what I'm doing because I'm having fun, which yeah. at the end of the day has made this portion of my skydiving career my favorite. And it's all been good. But yeah. Well, cool. So that's a big takeaway is, is to get out there and have fun. Just yeah. go jump, find your passion, and, and go for it. And I think don't really compare yourself with other people. As long as you're yeah, happy and true. you're... Yeah. You're having fun and you set your goals and whatever you work towards them. It's all about the path. Comparing uh, can destroy you. I of mean, course. Your passion for a sky, for any sport, actually. For I sure. For yeah, sure. So 100% agree with Cornelia on that one. Awesome. Just don't compare yourself. Go have fun. Go party with skydivers. Become That's a it. part of a community, community. And yeah. All right. Well, Cornelia and Olga, thank you both very much for coming and sitting in my studio. I'm, I'm surprised you're not seated on the toilet. No, not sitting on the toilet. No, no, no. But uh, got a couple of chairs. A couple, yeah, started. yeah. No, it's a proper little studio. It just happens to have a, a toilet. But, uh, thank but, you for having us. Absolutely, awesome. yes. Thank, thank you for stopping you by and, and, and giving us some insight into your side of the sport. Yeah. And keep going, and uh, hopefully we see both of you guys on the podium quite a few times. Awesome. All right. Perfect. Thanks. Blue skies, Thank guys. You. See ya. Blue skies. 
As always, this uh, podcast is brought to you in association with Blue Skies Magazine. You're going to want to go check them out. Uh, blueskiesmagazine.com. You can also check out their Facebook page and their Instagram. They are all over the place. Uh, you can check me out on Instagram as well. Uh, mine is under the Princess Pilot because who knew Instagram won't let you say fucking too much without getting upset. Uh, on Facebook, I'm the Effin Pilot, E-F-F-I-N Pilot, and of course my website, thefuckinpilot.net. Go check them all out, uh, have some fun, buy some cool swag, and we will see you next time around on Lunatic Fringe.